Welcome to the podcast of Destiny Community Church. So we are on week two of Caption This. And each week during this series, we are having a Caption This contest on social media. And the comment that gets the most likes gets a free $5 gift card from the Blend Coffee Shop, which, by the way, the Blend Coffee Shop is owned and operated by Destiny Community Church. And when you shop at the Blend, when you get your coffee from the Blend or your Frappuccino or whatever your drink of choice is, you are supporting missions. And we've been able to send money. This has been a a good year for the Blend and us being able to send some money to the mission field and, and bless orphans and missionaries out there. And so we are giving away this $5 gift card each week of this series for whoever gets the most likes. And this week's picture was this candid shot of Sanya, S- Sonya Allen, Sanya, Sanya, Sonya Allen. She's standing on the DCC bus, the big black bus. And, um, she is the wife of administrative council member Mark Allen, and, and there was, I think, a strong runner-up here, and, and I thought this one was good. Beverly had 10 likes uh, as before first service. Maybe other people have gone on there and liked it, but uh, Beverly had 10 likes with this comment. She said, why did we build so close to the pastor's house? And Mark and Sonia did. They're two, two doors down from us. They get to watch us, and we get to watch them. It's just, a, it's creepy. But... Um, but this week's winner is Mariah Sapp with 26 likes and five replies. She captioned this picture with, won't he do it? <laughs> yes, Sonia, he will do it. And if you know Sonia, you know that is a statement that she would make, which is what makes it so funny. And, uh, but Mariah is not here today. She is at a wedding in t- Tennessee. And so I'm going to accept this card on her behalf. And I'm going to spend this card on her behalf. Amen. Amen. No, I'll make sure she gets it. Last week, I told you that life often presents snapshots of dire circumstances, tough situations. And, and these moments tend to catch us off guard. And they may even cause us sometimes to doubt. At first glance, we will have a tendency to caption that moment with a faithless comment, a faithless thought. Even though Proverbs 23 and 7 warns us, for as he thinks within himself, so he is. And so whatever we are captioning in our thoughts, whatever we're captioning this little phrase of life that we're in, this snapshot that we're in, that's what it's going to become. So you have to recognize the power of of, of what you're thinking about the situation. And there's power in the way that you caption your circumstances. And I told you about the people of Nazareth, the people of Jesus' hometown, and how they reasoned their way right out of a miracle. Jesus was there. He was ministering. They were astonished at his words. But yet when they started thinking about who he was and and the little boy that was raised there in their hometown, they reasoned themselves right out of a miracle. Romans 8 and 6 says, the mind governed by the flesh is death, but the mind governed by the spirit is life and peace. We have to be careful. We have to make sure that we caption our thoughts with the right mindset that Christ is, is going to, to use that situation to bring glory to his name. So I have this obset, obsession and, and I, I want to share it. I shared this at Man Up um, a, a probably a year or so ago. And I just want to take this little illustration, kind of add to it a little bit because I still have this obsession with label makers. Anybody else in the room? They, these are just amazing, amazing instruments to me. 
And as a kid, I loved getting the old Dymo label maker. Anybody remember the old ones? Here's a picture of it on the screen here. Did, does anybody still have one of these? Okay, this must be a much younger crowd because in first service we had like five people that said they still have them I want one. I'm gonna get one of these But if you remember these some of the kids in the room are looking at it and, and they're thinking what is that thing? Well, you would you would turn that dial and you would set the the Letter or the number or, or even the symbol that you wanted and then you would pull the trigger and And it would embed that on the embossing tape and and it would create um, You know white letters there if the inside of the tape is white But you could get this tape in all kinds of colors so you could color code things as you labeled them And and as a kid I used to love going to my dad's shed and I would get his his Dymo label maker And I would label things I would label my baseball bat. I put my name on it I would R-O-C-K-Y and, you know, pull the trigger, put the thing out, peel it. You can't hardly get the tape off the back, but when you finally do, that's an accomplishment all in itself. Put it on the baseball bat. I remember I put it on my roller skates. I, I remember I put it on the Millennium Falcon. And, and then I think even one time I put it on my dog, but that, that's tough. But even as an adult, though, I have this, the, the modernized label maker. We have one here for the church. It looks something similar to this. And, and I still like to label things. I, if, if one of these, if, if you see one of these laying around and I see it before you do, I'm going to create a label for something. I'll, I'll, I'll slap a sticker on your forehead if I have to, because I just love and enjoy using the label maker. In our old house, uh, our old house in Country Way, um, when they built this house, they did a lot of, of multi-switch fixtures on the wall and multi multi-switch plates and and so i got tired of walking around always flipping the wrong switch and so you know i, I would come by and i would label you know this is living room this is back porch because who who likes going to the the back porch and flipping on the living room light only to have to turn it off and turn the correct one on right i mean when you want the the dining room light on you don't want the the, the lights over the bar to come on and this is what was happening in my house when we first moved in true story right when we moved out of that house they still had the labels on there matter of fact I went through and replaced them after they they faded because I I, I like having it organized until I realized that um, in the dark <laughs> you can't see the label but yet it still was satisfying to me to label them even today if you were to come up here on this stage please don't but if you were to come up here on this stage and 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 look at all the cables to the speakers and all the video cables and everything going to the sound booth and back and everything backstage I have taken the time with a label maker and I have label where everything plugs in so that us being a portable church we can set up and tear down a whole lot quicker it, it just makes life easier for us we know that when we get here on, on Friday afternoons and we start setting up we can look at the labels on the cables and we can start throwing them to the in the direction of where they're going to plug in it's a sickness I know I, I, it, I can't help it but it's the way that my brain operates even when we transitioned destiny kids down to the gymnasium and we knew that we had to have video screens and we had to have a sound system I spent a good 20 25 minutes labeling every cable uh, with our label maker because I knew that it would make our lives easier labels serve a purpose on objects they're necessary to me at least in my head they're necessary on objects but not so much on people and we've got a world that likes to label people 
society likes to throw a label on you and on you and on you in the back. It, it, we are a society of labels. And, and, and labels don't serve a purpose on people. Lab, labels can produce unmerited power if you're not careful. Pastor Scott jokingly referred to me as, as bishop on Pastor Appreciation Sunday, a phrase that I don't like to be called by. And it, it, was, it was all in good fun, and, and, and we laughed it off. And, and Mandy doesn't particularly like being called First Lady, but sometimes they refer to her as First Lady, or as John, Sean Chatfield often refers to me as Galactic Bishop. Don't know. But, but it's a title that doesn't carry too much power at this local church level. And so I've never wanted to be called bishop. At the moment that you slap an authority label on the wrong person, watch as, as they begin to, to wreak havoc on their subordinates. When the wrong person is labeled with authority, it's tough. It's rough. It, it, it's the classic school safety patrol scenario. Now, most students, it's an honor, and I know that our safety patrol here in Newberry, they pretty much come out and open doors and shut doors and, and you know, help kids out of cars and those, those kinds of things. And, um, and if that's what your kid does, praise God for them. I think they're doing a great job. It's great, great learning ground. But you've, you've seen it on TV before. You've, you've watched sitcoms or movies where the school safety patrol or the hall monitor, if you will, once they are, are slapped with that label, once they have that title, uh, 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 they, they begin to wreak havoc on everyone. Uh, you know, stop running in the halls. Where's your bathroom pass? And, and assigning people to detention and, and, and stuff like that. You've seen this on your job. If the boss promotes the wrong person to a position of superiority, that title alone will make life miserable for those of us that are lower on the totem pole and so labels can cause people to have unmerited power but labels can also have the opposite effect because someone can make a claim over you that is completely untrue and has no merit at all and if your mindset is not right those words can haunt you for years and years to come some of you are still dealing with the labels that they put on you as a child some of you are still dealing with the label that was placed on you from your first marriage. Some of you are still having to learn to process what your, your boss or, or that person in authority said about your life, what your father said about you, what your mother said about you, what your siblings said about you. If someone slaps a negative label on you, you must be careful not to let that label define who you are and who you will become. We must learn to stop letting others caption our lives. Letting the outside voices control what's happening on the inside of our heads. Just because they said it doesn't make it true. Just because they said that about you does not make it true about you. Just because they said that, that you're a loser, it doesn't make you a loser unless you adapt to that and you start acting like that. Just because they said you'll never amount to anything, that doesn't make it true unless you let that become truth in your life. You've got the power to accept that label or to walk away from it. Just because they said that you're no good. Just because they said that you can't be trusted. Just because they said it about you does not make it true true. Take, for instance, this, this pastor that I read about this week out in California that was shopping for a gift for his wife at Costco. Now, 
for those of you that don't know what Costco is, because we don't have one in the Gainesville area, but, but it, it's a Sam's-like warehouse store where you buy things in bulk. And so the pastor goes to Costco to buy something for his wife, which is the first question that popped up in my head. None of the articles I read address this, but why is the man going to Costco to buy a gift for his wife? I mean, what are you going to buy your wife? A seven-pound can of baked beans? I mean, is that what you're going to buy the, guy, uh, the, the wife? Or, or, or 128 ounces of Windex? I, I, I don't know what you plan on buying her. 30, here, here, honey, here's 36 rolls of toilet paper, all in one package, right here, just for you. What was he thinking? But, but that wasn't addressed in the article. But... but what he did find as he was looking through the section of books is he came across a Bible, and on the price tag of the Bible, it labeled the Bible as fiction. Here's an actual picture of it. Well, that gets under your, your skin a little bit, doesn't it? It's tough. Costco labeled the Bible as fiction. John 17 and 17 says, Sanctify them in the truth, your word is truth. Just because Costco said it doesn't make it true. And just because what they have said about you in the past, just because they said it, it doesn't make it true. The one that we need to be worried about is God, our creator. What has God said about me? Because whatever God says about you, that's the God's honest truth. You can take that to the bank. You know that when God speaks over your life, those things are yes and amen, and you can count on those things. People will try and caption your life and who you are, but just because they said it, it doesn't make it true. I like the way that Charles Spurgeon said it. He said, don't rely too much on labels, for too often they are fables. Don't rely on what they're saying about you. Don't trust that. I've got this rule that I live by, and, and, and you can write this down. You can, you, you can use this if you want to. I, I, I'm not the originator of this by any means, but I, I like to think of it like this. I'm not as great as they say I am, and I'm certainly not as bad as they say I am either. I've got fans in my life, and I've got enemies in my life. And don't believe everything you read on social media about me either. Some people, they will just say mean things about you. And I'm not as bad as they say I am, but I'm certainly not as great as some of you think I am. I want to see what God has to say about you. I want to see what God has to say about me. I want us to turn to Judges chapter 6. Judges chapter 6. We're going to read about Gideon. I want to read verses 11 through 17 this morning. And, and I know that, that some of you in the room are familiar with this story of Gideon. I, I've preached about Gideon. It's probably been two or three years. But... I want you to pay close attention to the verses that we're reading today because there, there are, are, are points of information here that should jump off the page at you. And so you're, you're a bright crowd. You're, you're, you're smart people. You're so much smarter than the first service. I believe that you, although you did show up when it was raining, I don't know, let's just figure it out later. But I believe that you can look at these verses and there's going to be some things that jump out and then we'll come back and we'll talk about those things and that's going to be so obvious to you. Judges chapter 6 verse 11 says, Now the angel of the Lord came and sat under the terebinth at Ophrah, which belonged to Joash, the Abizrite, while his son Gideon was beating out wheat in the winepress to hide it from the Midianites. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said to him, The Lord is with you, O mighty man of valor. And Gideon said to him, Please, my Lord, if the Lord is with us, why then has all this happened to us? Have you ever prayed that prayer? 
just that that moment where you're just in desperation and you're like god if you're really here why is all this stuff happening right now god if you really care where are you in the middle of my trouble because i can't find you right now god and so he he, he prays that prayer. He says, please, my Lord, if the Lord is with us, why then has all this happened to us? And where are all his wonderful deeds that our fathers recounted to us, saying, did not the Lord bring us up from Egypt? But now the Lord has forsaken us and given us into the hand of Midian. And the Lord turned to him and said, go in this might of yours and save Israel from the hand of Midian. Do not I send you? And he said to him, please, Lord, how can I save Israel? Behold, my clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my father's house. And the Lord said to him, but I will be with you, and you will strike the Midianites as one man. Then he said to him, if now I have found favor in your eyes, then show me a sign that it is you who speak with me. Now when God said in verse 16 that you will strike as one man, against the Midianites. God was not saying, Gideon, you're going to go have to fight these men by yourself. He was saying, I'm going to do something so special with the men that you lead, with this army that I'm putting you in charge of. I'm going to do something so special that when, when one swings, we all swing. When, 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 when one takes a step, it's a footprint of one large army. It's like one man. He said, the strength that you're going to have is when you swing and take a blow, it's going to be the force of one huge person. That's what they're going to feel. And so it was all about unity. He was like, he wasn't sending him out onto a battlefield all by himself, but yet he was calling him to lead. And, and, and Gideon was terrified. Now, I don't want to spend a much, much time on the rest of this story because everything that we need is right here in the text in front of us. Everything that we need for today and, and, and for this lesson today, it, it's right there. We just read it. But if you know this true story of Gideon, then you're going to know that, that through a series of tests and, and what the Bible calls fleeces laid out before the Lord. If you've been around here for very long, you'll know that, that that's how I live my life. I live my life. Mandy and I, we lay fleeces out before God, expecting God to answer those fleeces before we make any big decisions for our life. I, I'm going to explain some of that in a book that I'm writing. I just wrote a chapter just a couple of weeks ago for this book called Leases and Fleeces. It's part of the story of DCC. And, 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 and I'm telling you, you can live your life according to fleeces. And Gideon did. He laid some fleeces out for God to answer. God answered those fleeces and Gideon realized that God had called him to lead this army. And in true God fashion, God stacks the odds against Gideon because when God sends you into a circumstance, he doesn't want anyone else to get the glory for this. God will be glorified through every trial that we, we have to come through in our lives. For every battle that we will fight, just count on it. The odds are often going to be stacked against you because that's where God gets the glory. And Gideon begins with 32,000 men, 32,000. Now you think to yourself, that, that's a pretty good army. If I have 32,000 men to walk with me, I, I think I could take on just about anyone. No, here's the problem. The Midianites had 135,000 men. And so the odds are stacked against him. God eventually dwindles Gideon's army down to 300 and then said, now you're ready for battle. So it's 300 Israelite men versus 135,000 Midianite men. Those odds, just in case you're wondering, are 450 to 1. It's 450 Midianites to every one Israelite. 
insurmountable, insurmountable odds and insurmountable odds have never scared God. It scares us. But insurmountable odds have never once scared God. He's, he's never twitched. He's never blinked at them. He, he, he's never run in fear of them. God has never been scared of insurmountable odds. And so for most of us, we know the rest of this story. If you don't, read Judges chapter 7 and, and be amazed at how God used Gideon's army to defeat the enemy. Spoiler alert, there you go. It, 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 they win, okay? But what I do want to focus on is how God or rather how Gideon captioned himself. I don't know if you noticed it as we were reading through the scriptures, but Gideon had a mindset. He had an opinion about himself, and it wasn't a very high opinion. Verse 15, and he said to him, Please, Lord, how can I save Israel? Behold, my clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my father's house. Church, I don't know exactly what, what people said to Gideon. I don't know what they said to his face. I don't know what they said behind his back. But whatever they said to him, he bought it. Because this man has very low self-esteem. My family is the weakest in the entire tribe of Manasseh. I don't think very much about my family. They are the weakest in the entire tribe, and I'm the weakest in my family. My brothers pick on me, my sisters beat me up, my dog even steals my food. I am the weakest in my household. God, why would you want to use me? I'm weak. He didn't meet the qualifications that we would be looking for. Gideon's never led an army. He's not a decorated soldier. If you're going to take 300 men to go fight 135,000, this guy needs some Green Beret experience. He needs to be decorated. He needs to have something up his sleeve that we can look at and say, that's a successful warrior, but he doesn't meet that. He was a physically weak man from a weak family. And whatever they said about Gideon, he bought it. Only two people have the right to put a label on something, the first one being the manufacturer. Chances are the clothes that you're wearing right now, it has a manufacturer's label on it. That shirt, those pants, hey, even some of your socks, it will say who the manufacturer is on the, that particular article of clothing. They label it with their brand, with their logo. You know, when you buy a vehicle, you don't get to choose the name of that vehicle. You might nickname your vehicle, but that manufacturer of that, of that vehicle, that car, that truck, that van, that SUV, uh, they, they tell you what you're going to call it. It has the manufacturer's name on it. It has the make and the model, and they tell you, you're going to call this a Ford. You're going to call it a Chevy. You're going to call it a Toyota, and if you're blessed, you're going to get to call it a Jeep. The manufacturer determines that you, the DMV, law enforcement, that you're going to call it whatever they want you to call that vehicle. Now, the only other entity that gets to label something is the owner. Like I said, you can nickname your vehicle if you want to. I remember when I was a kid, 
and I would, I would go to youth camp like many of you. And like, like you, whether it was a Christian youth camp or not, when you go to youth camp, sometimes your clothes tend to walk off. I don't know, some, some of my favorite t-shirts never made it back from youth camp. And, and I'm, I'm very convinced that the next school year, one of my cabin mates was wearing my t-shirt that, that he liked. And so my mom would make me get the Sharpie out and she would make me write on the tag of my shirt my name or my initials so that if anything came into question, they would know that this belonged to me. Mom would not only stop there, she would make me put it in my shorts. She would make me label my underwear. <laughs> Anybody else, did you have to do this? It, it's, so, it's so embarrassing, isn't it? Now listen to me. Mom, mom had good reasons for that because she wanted me to come home with my clothing. So you put your name in your underwear. Now, it's perfectly fine for me to get a Sharpie and write my name in my underwear if that's what I want to do. It's not okay for you to do that. I thought I'd get an amen right there. It's not okay for you to label my underwear. It's not okay for you to label my clothing. Let me put it like this. Now, I'm not claiming I own my wife, so save your emails, okay? I don't own her. But she is my wife. And sometimes I refer to her as babe. It's okay for me to call her babe, but it's not okay for you to call her babe. Men in the room, listen to me before you save yourself from a butt whooping, okay? (laughs) It's okay for me to call her babe. Don't you call her babe. Don't even walk out of here joking today. I'll slap you right upside the head, okay? (laughs) No one else deserves the right to label you you except for your manufacturer and your owner. No one else has the right to caption your life except for the one that made you and the one that owns you. And we were all created by God. The very breath that is in our lungs is his breath. When he breathed the breath of life into Adam, that breath has been passed down from generation to generation to generation. The very breath that is in my lungs belongs to my manufacturer. God Almighty breathed into my life. Jeremiah 1 and 5, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And before you were born, I consecrated you. I appointed you a prophet to the nations. Psalm 139 and 13, for you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. Uh, Ephesians 2 and 10, for we, we are his workmanship. Job 33 and 4, the Spirit of God has made me, and the breath of the Almighty gives me life. And finally, Isaiah 64 and 8, but now, O Lord, you are our Father, we are the clay, and you are our potter. We are all the work of your hand. We have a manufacturer. We have one who made us, and they can say what they want to say about me, but it doesn't make it true. The world can label me however they want to label me. They can caption my life however they want to caption my life. But the truth is what he says about me, not what you say about me, not what they say about me. He created me. He's the only one that gets to label me. And the moment that I gave my heart to Christ, I became his. He became the owner of my life. I don't own me anymore. I gave up that rights, those rights whenever I called him my Lord. 
When I made him the Lord of my life, I no longer control who I am. I have to seek his face. And the problem with some of us is we're no, no longer seeking his face or we've never learned how to seek his face. And we said, I want you to be the Lord of my life, yet we, contain, uh, we control the ownership of it. We've got to learn to give him the ownership of our lives because we have a manufacturer and we have an owner and they are the only ones that can speak life over us for our destinies become their destinies. And the moment that I gave my heart to Christ, I became his. No matter what others have said or even what you've believed about yourself, even if the negative labels are true, your God and your Savior are the only ones who can caption your life. Throughout his word, God relabeled people, recaptioned their lives to give them a hope and a future. Time and time again, we read of it. We reread of Abram and Sarai. God would relabel them as Abraham and Sarah, and they would become the father and the mother of all nations. We read about Jacob, a cheat. His name meant deceiver. God relabels him as Israel. He was now a prince, God's beloved chosen one. We get to the New Testament and we read of a man named Saul. And the label that was on his life was that he was known as a persecutor of Christians. But God changes his name to Paul. And God captioned his life as an apostle, a preacher of the gospel. And then rewards him with allowing him to write two-thirds of the New Testament. You don't think that God can relabel your life? Look at what he did for them. And sometimes he, he didn't change their names, but he did caption their future. He gave them something to look for, look forward to, and he gave victory to their lives. Think about Gideon. Gideon was a weak man, the weakest of his family, hiding in a wine press, hiding from the enemy. And God called him. And I hope that you saw this in Scripture earlier. In the very beginning of the conversation with God, God refers to him as a mighty man of valor. Did you catch that? As soon as God started calling him, God calls him a mighty man of valor. Listen to verse 12. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said to him, The Lord is with you, O mighty man of valor. Sure, later in the conversation, Gideon says, I, I'm weak. I'm the weakest in my family. You don't want to use me for this. But God had already declared over his life that he was a mighty man of valor. You see, God believed in Gideon before anyone else did. God believed in Gideon before Gideon believed in Gideon. God believes in you before you believe in yourself. You walked in here today and, and, and you've accepted the labels that have been put on your life, the captions that they've, they've, they've put on you, and you don't have to put up with that. You can allow God to relabel you because before you ever walked into this room, he called you a mighty man of valor or a mighty woman of valor. God calls you successful before you even land your first job. God calls you faithful before you have a, a cause to be faithful to. Before you even met your spouse, he called you faithful. Before you ever had children, he called you faithful. Even when you were yet a sinner, the Bible says that he called us faithful. What kind of God does that? 
that he sees something in us before anybody else sees it, before I see it myself. God calls us faithful. God calls you victorious before you even win your first battle or even accept the, the, the position to walk out on the battlefield. God says you're victorious. Isaiah 62 and 2, it says, You shall be called by a new name that the mouth of the Lord will give. Many of you know that I've told different stories from this part of my life so many times, but, but one week before my junior year of high school, my parents uprooted the family. My dad took another church. We moved from Perry and we moved to Lake City. And the first week of school, I'm, I'm there. It's a much larger high school than what I was used to, and I'm, I'm standing in the commons. There's, there's a few people in the room that will remember the commons, and, and the commons there, it was, a, it was indoors, but it was just a place where everyone gathered right in the middle of the school. And, and I remember, I'm, I, was, I was scared. Uh, I, I didn't want to move, didn't like being in a new school. And I remember I'm standing there with this other kid. I, I'm a junior. He's a sophomore. And I remember him standing there. He's about two inches taller than me. He was, he was tall. I called him Slim. That's, that was the nickname I gave him. And, and Slim's standing next to me. And I remember this guy walks up to us, and we're both just standing in the middle of the commons. You can tell it's like we have the plague. Nobody wants to talk to us. We're just standing there. And, and this, this guy, this, this man walks up to us, and he looks at us. He says, I'm the basketball coach. And he looks at Slim, and he says, what, what grade are you in? He said, I'm, I'm in 10th grade. He said, well, basketball tryouts are in a few weeks. He said, I want you to come out there. I want to see what you have. Promise me you're going to come. He said, I I'll be there. He looks at me and he says, what grade are you in? I said, I'm a junior. Oh, it's too late for you. And he turns around and he walks off. And I'm thinking to myself, this guy didn't look much like a basketball coach. He looked more like the basketball. He was just short and round. Now, I'm a little upset, okay? I'm still a little bitter about it, but that's the way I saw him anyway. He just walks off and doesn't even realize that this new kid, only been in this school for a week, he has just crushed me. I had played in high school from the school that I transferred from. Even my sophomore year got moved up to varsity. I, I feel like I, I could have been an asset for his team. But he just looked at me and said, it's too late for you. Didn't want to know my history, my background. He labeled me as that you are not going to make my basketball team. And he walked off. And I'm going to be honest with you. It, it, it hurt. It crushed my spirit, man. I'm telling you, I, I was just devastated because I thought that's going to be the one area that I'll be able to shine. When I don't have any friends in the school, that'll be the one place that I get to stand out. Season went on. I prayed that that team would lose every game throughout the season. I'm not lying. I did. God honored part of my prayer too. They were bad. They needed me. They really did. The season ended and in the spring, the boys club of Columbia County, they would hold a basketball league for, for older kids, for high schoolers. And so some of my friends came to me that I, was, I, I had met and we were playing a lot of street ball and they came to me and they said, Rocky, we, we want to play but we don't have a coach. And they said, the director said that he would let one of us coach our team since it's the older guys. He said, w would you play and coach? And these guys are trying to talk me into it. I said, well, how much is it? They said, it's like 20 bucks, man, 20 bucks. And it starts tomorrow. It, it, we could put a team in, but it starts tomorrow. 
And I was like, I, I don't really want to do this. You know, I, honestly, I just, I didn't really care if I played anymore. He, it, it really was that devastating to me. At one time I was hoping maybe, maybe one day I'll go to college and play, but all that had been crushed. And then one of the boys looked at me and he said, you do know the high school team, they, they're in this league. It's the off season and they have a team. Okay. <laughs> Sign me up. Now, what I'm about to do right now is very prideful. You can pray for your pastor during this, but I'm just going to brag for a minute. We walked into that league. We played street ball. They walked out there and they're trying to run plays and everything else. We boxed those boys out. We picked them. We did. We played rough against them. And we met up in the championship game and we kicked the varsity team's butt. And I've never had a greater moment of satisfaction in my life. Give God some praise. Amen. Won't he do it? I could have accepted the label that that coach put on my life. He captioned my life my junior year. First week of my junior year, he captioned my life. But it was through that moment that I realized I like coaching. I'd never tried coaching before. When Mandy's younger brother wanted to have a team at the boys club after we met, he asked me, would you coach? Yeah, I've coached, I won a championship as a player coach. I coached those boys and from there it just started growing and I realized my, my love and my desire for coaching and teaching. Coach leagues in Tampa, coach rec leagues with my son. I've coached JV varsity basketball. I didn't allow that man and what he said to me stop what God wanted to do in my life. Some of you, you've had things said about you and to you that people have tried to caption who you are. Don't buy it. Your family is not the weakest in the tribe. You're not the weakest in your family. Because when God gets a hold of you and God begins to empower you, all things become possible to him who believes. Believe what God says about you, not what they say about you. Let God caption your life. Thank you for listening to the podcast of DCC. For service times and directions, log on to www.destinycommunitychurch.org. Thanks again for listening.